Matt, would you hit that clock so it's running? Could you <laughs> just reset? Yeah, thanks. No, uh, great. Oh, uh, my God. This Matt, is, we've this been, is, this this is, is our 20th disaster. installment of this podcast. 20th installment. Reset and then hit up. Yeah, yeah good yeah. God. Oh, reset and yeah. then. How about okay. up? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that again. Yeah. Right, you should do that again. Do it again. Okay. Sorry, Sorry about that. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. I am Camille Foster of uh, an outfit called Freethink Media. I do various things there. Um, and I am joined today by my compatriots, my faithful friends. Um, well, one of them is a friend. The other one was late, really, really <laughs> late today. I was, I was, I was uh, Michael Moynihan already ex- excuses, late. excuses. Michael Moynihan, who is doing things at Vice News, he says he has a job there, whatever. But I mean, um, if the listeners of the fifth column want to send me some stuff on PayPal, then I'll get it on time. <laughs> I got to go to the guys that pay for okay, it. I'm okay, a capitalist. okay, okay, okay. And Matt Welch, we should, we should go, don't forget and about him. I mean, you, I, you won't let me finish the intros. <laughs> I'm also Sorry. joined by Matt Welch, who is the editor at large at Reason Magazine. When you're at uh, large, you just can't show up at t- on it's, time. It's just like you're 15 minutes. It's early. Yeah. Uh, and I wish, Hi. And I wish oh, you could see. I wish you could see Matt today. I don't today. have friends. <laughs> oh, God. This, I'm quitting again. I wish you could see Matt today in his uh, Angels t-shirt. Resplendent. And, and cap. He yeah. is, Matt is, uh, he's in his moving garb. Um, Actually, I don't think that's the moving garb. <laughs> I think that's, I think he changed and he dressed up for us. And he's wearing an Angels ba- baseball <laughs> Hall of Fame t-shirt and a hat on backwards. It's important uh, that you never pay for whatever these. This is like what the, uh, <laughs> what the uh, I forget the the name of the the strike force, the angel strike force, or the gals in the dolphin shorts who have the little uh, t shirt guns. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that to any uh, former viewers of your show on uh, Fox Business, The Independence, know that you prefer clothes that you don't have to pay for. <laughs> Pretty obvious to anyone with his pink but, ties. By, by, which, you, by wow. which you mean Matt yeah. had a very generous wardrobe budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah Not yeah. that he got his clothing at, at it's Goodwill or something it's like amazing. that. It's amazing. Like well, You had a wardrobe budget, too, and you looked amazing. You looked great. Well, Camille I, I actually took great. me shopping. It was it was don't, really... Don't, don't, don't saddle me with so that. What, it was what, really what, funny. I can't own all before, of it. We, before, got you, we got you two tailored suits, and you got a bunch of tailored. And before we get in, and listeners, you can chime in on Twitter on this. Before we get into the serious bits of this podcast, when you guys are going out shopping together, <laughs> what is the song in the montage that's playing? Oh, I'm yeah. thinking of the two of you, and it's like, you know, what? Well, it's something, something with uh, you say like tomato. No, 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 no that no, is no. that Come is on. wrong. No? That may be no. what you're thinking, but I'm I'm always thinking no of something <laughs> involving Diddy, uh, Diddy, like Puff Daddy and yeah. Mace. Uh-huh. You know, like something like that. Yeah. You I know, was thinking like Ebony and Ivory. Doing things. <laughs> yeah. Paul that, McCartney is Ebony and Ivory. Well, that's because you see everything oh. through the lens of race, which is unfortunate for you. Speaking of which, um, can, but, let's start the show. Yeah, we are starting the show. The let me let me talk about okay, what, what's talk happened about because yes. a number of things have transpired since the last time we were together. A great many things. Um, we uh, we have the Olympics, which are underway now. Uh, the Trump and Clinton contest continues as well. Uh, so we have feats of strength, and then we have a political contest for all the marbles. Apparently, the fate of the union is hanging in the balance, at least according to these other two guys. Um, and uh, there's some other things. Gary Johnson suffered uh, a, an unfortunate uh, legal defeat in his effort to be included in the in the uh, campaign. Although perhaps the, deserved. Maybe yeah, deserved. Probably, probably. Second anniversary uh, of the Mike Brown shooting uh, in Ferguson. Uh, oh. That was... Uh, 
There were demonstrators in Ferguson, so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and I don't know. I suspect we'll have time for other things. But but the first and most important thing for us to talk about is almost certainly something we missed last week, and that is Malia Obama twerking sure. and smoking weed. Sure. This is yeah. – you are two gentlemen who have sure. daughters. <laughs> If my, How proud would you be of your daughter? I want to say <laughs> if you were the president of the United States. I want to say a couple of things. <laughs> the first, there's a couple of points. A couple of very serious points. The first one: if my daughter was twerking and uh, smoking weed, I would say, "Sweetheart, you're five, which would be the first <laughs> thing that I'd say. Um, Good but, for you. But she is now uh, how old? She's 18, right? She's cleared the 18 hurdles. She's are you, are you wondering if you can if you can acknowledge yeah. that yeah. you've been ogling yes. her? Yeah, I don't. You, I think she's this, legal, but if she She's yeah. not. We, we won't release this until Those she is. So Those listening at home can't see that I've already taken my shirt off. <laughs> um, but, but no, and, I mean, pants. Th- this was, this was uh, said recently, not too long ago, about Chelsea Clinton, because there was a cordon sanitaire around Chelsea Clinton when, she, when, when Bill Clinton was in the White House because she was underage and the rest of it, and families off limits, families off limits. Um, now things have changed a little bit, right? She's, uh, you know, over 18. People have kind of not really bothered them very much. But, you know, th- we didn't have in 1996, you know, Radar Online, <laughs> which is where I saw the uh, video slash, there was a video of her twerking. Yes, there's you know? a video of her twerking and at Lollapalooza in Chicago. We were both in Chicago at the same time. Which, by the way, is a combination of the blackest and the whitest things ever. <laughs> twerking at Lollapalooza, which was created by Jane's Addictions, uh, you know. Uh, so, no, I don't, like, leave the girl alone. I think, so, you know, I, I'm happy she's smoking weed. I smoked weed when I was her age. Um, I don't do that anymore because that would be bad for me. Um, I never did twerking. But you do twerking. harder drugs now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't I have a daughter. I mean, I mean, when she's not around, I do them, but I don't do them when she's around. That's, that's, that's what makes them legal. But yeah, no, I mean, come on. Is anyone making a big deal of this? I mean, some people are. Some In people way? are. I In mean, way? Matt, I don't know. I don't know. Matt, I mean, aren't you concerned about this? The, the role model for your daughters that the, the first of two daughters is to your little girls? I mean, is are you uh, are you concerned about this? As Chris Rock pointed out today, uh, she's smoking weed and going to Harvard while all y'all talk about it are smoking <laughs> weed and sitting at home. Yeah, that's, did he say that? <laughs> yeah, he that's did. amazing. Uh, yeah. that's good. That's, uh, a, you know, that's if a you fair were, observation. Kids, if you smoke weed, you might win twenty. What is it? One or twenty-two uh, swimming gold medal. And Michael Phelps is a stoner. He's such a stoner. He's got huge cut marks. No, in no, his no, no, body. no. Let's let's. That's, I gotta call a timeout on this. What? I gotta call a timeout on this. Well, that I was actually, the segue. I, I was getting I ready to make. A story about this and nobody cares about it. I am so amazed by this because I tweeted this and you can look at my Twitter feed from a couple days ago. It, it, uh, the USA Today did two stories of like, how is the Olympic gymnast, uh, how are American, how are they winning? And it's like, well, the answer after you turn to the next page, and you get to the, <laughs> it's in print, by the way. Um, and you, it's all about this cupping, which sounds incredibly filthy, but all of these people are basically giving themselves hickeys with these cups. And uh, Michael Phelps po- posted a picture on. On, uh, Instagram. Actually, you had a thing about it in uh, Reason. Yeah, I'm sure. It was, uh, yeah, which is what pointed uh, the person who pointed it out to me. What's the person's name? Todd Cranin. Is it Todd Cranin? Mm-hmm. I don't know Todd Cranin, but I He's like the He's a little... videographer who did a great piece about uh, how uh, Washington subsidizes all this stupid, hokey, like Deepak Chopra junk it's, science. I And it's one of my favorite things. And I've as I've gotten less interested in politics because everyone's gone completely mental, I have gotten more interested in, in like, um, you know, debunking 
bullshit science. And I did a story for a long time ago uh, for Newsweek. It was a cover story for Newsweek uh, called The Bullshit Police, which they had to, to, to edit to say The Bullshit Police. MSM. And it was, it, was about, and it was about James Randi and the Randi Foundation. Uh, and they do this thing every year where they, they, they give a, the Randi's prize. And if you can you know, uh, prove your supernatural ability, they'll give you a million dollars. They actually have the money. It's actually in a bank in New York, and no one has ever claimed it because it's all fake. And some of the other stuff that they do, and one of the things out there that I wrote about in the story, and you would know about this because you are a big baseball fan, is that it was around the time when baseball players were starting to wear these it's necklaces. Terrible necklaces. Yeah. The Turk Wendell necklaces. Yeah, and they had, uh, it was like, you know, they were uh, ionized in this ionized way. Ionized life yeah. force, kind yeah. of multicolored. So it's total nonsense, of course. There's no science behind it whatsoever. And when I was in the mall in Las Vegas, the JREF convert the conference that I went to was in Las Vegas at the same time as Freedom Fest, by the way. And I and went at the same time as the annual Halo's Heaven meetup. Oh, Not even lying geez. about that. No, this is actually going so somewhere. Some, some sort of baseball reference. I'm some, sorry. This is going everyone. somewhere interesting. So, <laughs> so I go into the mall. There's a mall that connects to, there's a huge big mall uh, off the strip. And I go in there and there's this little greasy looking guy <laughs> standing in there doing this thing where you ha hold one of these uh, you know, ion plus kind of things in your hand, like like just like you know the necklaces. Mm -hmm. You hand it in your hand, and uh, he tries to push you, and he can't knock you over. You're standing on one leg, and then you drop it, and you push it, and you fall over, right? And everyone's like, "Ooh, wow!" I go back to the Randy conference, and I said, "You know, speaking of bullshit, I saw this thing that all these baseball players wear, all these athletes are using." Uh, to, and this guy comes, zooms over, and he's like, "He's Australian." <laughs> he's like, "You want me to tell you about that? I'll tell you how it's done." And he shows me how they do it. This little trick of how they push on you to make you fall, etc. And they, he had gotten, this guy had gotten these like banned in Australia through some public authority that bans bullshit science. And so it's funny to me that when I see that, that seems to have gone in baseball, right? The, yeah. The, the, those yeah, they, they necklaces, you know, I mean, which it was were, around, it's around in basketball, basketball last too. season. And they wear these pieces of tape. Yeah, Rajon Rondo, I yeah, believe, yeah, is Rondo like, we're the selling those things. On the court? It's not a necklace, it's a okay. wristband. It's a wristband. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. And, and that was the one that I did was the wristband. You put it on, you hold it in your hand, and then you drop it. And one time you're holding it, they can't push you over, and you drop it, and they can. Right. And so uh, it's called Power or something. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. And it was so popular that they were sponsoring the uh, basketball stadium for the Trailblazers. It was Jesus. named Dear after. Lord, is that right? Pa yeah. I, they, they, that. I think they took it away or something. Power, the power Band or something. Wow. I wrote it a long time ago. But when I saw the Olympics, and I, I watched a little bit of it, and I see all these people the yeah. with these fucking, you know, two Phelps, one cup all over his back. <laughs> There's like, you know, welts. And I was like, geez, I mean, he's getting beaten. It's like Annie or something. What is happening? Somebody help the very strong pot smoking kid who's getting beaten up. And then I see all these articles in the media. It's coming. Nobody points out. Reason was very good about this. Very few people pointed out that there is literally no science behind it whatsoever in how all these people fall for it. I don't know. In the, the USA Today interviewed a guy actually from the Trailblazers who was there health and wellness expert and he's like no no it's 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 really really great and look this article up it's in oregon.com where he says you know there's a lot of science behind it i can't explain it to you because i don't think you'd understand it yeah, yeah. he said that actually to the journal that's how science yeah. works yeah it's yeah. exactly how science mm -hmm. works. my my theory for why this is popular uh, particularly in baseball but in sports in general is the same reason why scientology is popular among actors and among people who have made it in a big way and, and Beck, sadly. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, is that, and my uh, my wife, Emmanuel, did the first, uh, first interview with Beck uh, confirming that back in the day, but um, is that you've been lucky and you, and this is your way of grappling with this, with this, you know, was it, was it skill? Was it luck in baseball? 
because the odds are more against you in the things that you're trying to do, I think that they become more superstitious than in other sports than basketball. Basketball are going to make the shot half the time, um, you know, despite uh, uh, big people wanting to block it. Um, but uh, but they're susceptible to this because you know you by you know somebody who is as good as you who is eating dirt in a gutter somewhere and you are making $20 million a year. You you need systems to cope with that. And one of the ways yeah. that you do it is just like you randomly ch- decide on this superstition. I mean, Wade Boggs from the Boston sure. restaurants ate chicken, more chicken any man ever yeah. seen. And then and, he would sleep with your wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the two things that Wade Boggs did. Uh, and it's just something that people do. But, <laughs> well, it's, uh, but yeah, everyone's, yeah. everyone's t- treating it as like a little twee thing. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's funny. And I wrote a piece about this for the Daily Beast, and I think I mentioned a bunch of times in this in this uh, this very broadcast of that why do people believe the bullshit of Donald Trump is because Americans love believing in bullshit of all types of bullshit, and whether it is you know canopic jars in your pack or whatever the hell it is, or if it's some Donald Trump nonsense, or if it's holistic medicine, which is my favorite, and you know homeopathy. There is a story the other day. I love this one of people protesting in Scotland because the NHS, the National Health Service in, in the UK, was thinking of defunding a homeopathic hospital in Scotland. <laughs> and it's like so. It's basically millions of dollars for a hospital that doesn't work <laughs> because homeopathy, homeopathy, which is just total nonsense, is nothing. It's completely fake. It's not even there's well, there's some you know placebo. It's just totally phony. And we love phony stuff. There's a guy that I interviewed once in the serious uh, show, I think named Tim Caulfield. And it was, and uh, he wrote a book. He's a Canadian professor. He wrote a great, funny book. And I think the t- title was, Is Any Is Everything Gwyneth Paltrow Says Wrong? Or something to that effect. And he just went through all the celebrity trends and how everybody believes these mass delusions. So the vag steaming is not. Uh, yeah, that's no. right. Vag steaming. That's, this is actually true, people. There was a vag steaming I, thing. I don't. I don't know anything about it, but this, this, yeah, but that was your nickname for a while. The vag, vag the vag steamer. Yeah. For totally different reasons. I'm sure. Oh my God. Um, this, is, this, this is the, the strangest and longest and most yeah. convoluted. Oh, by the way, by the, you're going to get stuff on Twitter. Indulged it's gonna be like, that was totally fascinating. What's that? that? The vag yeah. steaming? Yeah, no, 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 no. You're, you're ending on this. Oh. There's more to it. Yeah. No, listen, more. I'm, I'm sure. No, this is, this is what people tune in for. And now yeah. they're all going to go away. Yeah. And I'm I'm sorry. We'll see you next week. Um, <laughs> on on to hard news. Hard news. Harder news, at any rate. Um, the Clinton Trump campaigns continue. But before we get there, what? yes, Gary Johnson. There are some developments with him this week as well. Where well, so on Friday, um, the uh, the lawsuit that uh, Gary Johnson, Jill Stein, Green Party Libertarians. Um, had uh, waged, filed against the Democratic Republican parties and specifically the Commission on Presidential Debates. Mm-hmm. Uh, this lawsuit was curious. Um, basically, they wanted it to get uh, to wave away some of the commission's rules. The commission currently says that in order to qualify for the debates, you have to average 15% in the polls in five uh, as yet unnamed polls mm. uh, in some period before the first debate. Um, it should be pointed out at this point that the commission uh, has 10 board members, five 
are appointed by the Republican National Committee and five are appointed by the Democratic National uh, Committee. And it's a very funny website to go to and uh, and read their FAQs because it's like, uh, oh, so why is 15 percent your thing? And it's like, well, this is in order to ensure the highest possible uh, quality of information as was with our uh, our mandate here. It's like has nothing at all to do with the fact that we are a fucking duopoly trying to kick you to the curb. So the lawsuit. Uh, made the curious claim that um, that this was fo- uh, violating antitrust law and also violating the First Amendment uh, by uh, effectively blocking their uh, speech in there. The judge threw it out with some amount of prejudice mm-hmm. on uh, on Friday saying, dude, it's a private entity. What are you talking about? See yeah, you later. Yeah, exactly. um, which kind of makes sense. I didn't really get uh, that much into the weeds of it, and I'm not a smart person, as both of you know. Um, uh, so that th- was thrown out. But what's kind of interesting about all that is that uh, members, both of the uh, uh, the chairs of the Commission on Presidential Debates, the Democratic one, who is Michael McCurry, mm-hmm. former really like awful Clinton uh, hack, uh, yeah. spokes Michael hack. Michael McCurry is the great spokes hack. And then uh, some guy who I think was the lead in uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show named Frank, like Frankenfurter or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, Frankenfurter said uh, last week that, uh, you know what, we might be open to readjusting our criteria here. Right. Um, and I think part of his motivation might just be like he hates Donald Trump and wants yeah, someone else well, in there. Yeah, well, isn't that the motivation, you know, across the board? We were talking about this uh, last week about the, yeah, CNN, the CNN town hall stuff. And it's like it seems to me that that. Everybody wants to give Gary Johnson uh, more attention because the presumption is he gonna, he's going to take away more Republican votes if you can get his voice out there. Because right now, I mean, he's taking slightly more, more votes from Hillary, right? I mean, it, it's, it's a, been an even split on some. It's on a pretty even polls. split, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, about uh, a third each from Hillary, from Trump, and from uh, not going to vote because, my God, are you kidding that yeah. you guys uh, appointed these guys? Um so the, he indicated some willing uh, Frankenfurter, uh, the the Frankenfuhrer, um, uh, indicated <laughs> some God. willingness to uh, change. Uh, mm. So uh, it sounds like they might be open to a little public pressure. So I had a column in today's L.A. Times uh, making the point that or arguing that um, that uh, uh, Johnson and Stein should go on stage. And part of my reason, I mean, yes, I'm self-interested in that. I would prefer to see uh, Gary Johnson. Uh, have his ideas out there, particularly in, in a can- campaign when, you know, both the Democrat and the Republican have completely s- given up on the idea that there's anything like an entitlement, you know, uh, balloon about to be digested and exploded all over the American public. They just stopped. Right. And Obama stopped, too, like two right. months ago. Yeah, he, yeah. he came into office saying that he couldn't kick this can down the road anymore. And he's leaving the office saying, yeah, screw it. Let's just expand Social Security. Uh, so, yes, I'm self-interested in that sense. But also, I remember from covering the Nader campaign, in 2000, uh, in which he was polling kind of like where Jill Stein is now, 4%. And I would follow him around. And you'd go to every single new uh, city. And the new city would have the AP reporter, the local. You'd have the local uh, daily and maybe, uh, you know, some uh, uh, gray ponytail hippie from the local Alt Weekly. <laughs> and the questions were always the same, with the exception of whatever question that I was hung up on, uh, usually about policing and race, because I was just trying to get Camille mad even before <laughs> I knew him. Um, but uh, uh, there was, you know, are, are, you, uh, you're, are you a spoiler? Uh, what about this? What about They yeah. never actually talked about policy. It's amazing how yeah. little Ralph Nader talked about 
about his actual policy positions, which I found in many senses to be crazy, although I ended up voting for him for reasons that we won't get into right now, um, uh, in, in 2000, because he just wasn't put under scrutiny. He had the same belief as Bernie Sanders does and Jerry Brown did in 92, that that uh, it's only the big corporate corporates that are stopping us from having you know a trillion dollar minimum wage right. and all these kind of a, a rag bag of progressive ideas. Uh, so uh, suddenly the day after the election in 2000, a lot of people were wondering, my God, it wouldn't have been good to give some of this some scrutiny, including the crazy shit, some scrutiny. So a part of this is like maybe Jill Stein, who, by the way, in the last two weeks has gotten more like just shit dumped on her head from Democrats, from MSNBC, sure, yeah. from mm -hmm. everyone, because yeah. they want to kick her in the line. So uh, I think that if you qualify for the ballots, unlike Evan McMullen, who's the other thing that we haven't talked about here, <laughs> the latest Never Trump yeah. brain fart. Yeah. Can, we, can yeah. we point we, out to listeners that I'm wearing a McMullen 2016 <laughs> t-shirt <laughs> that I just made with a Sharpie? It's more of a Speedo. Uh, in yeah. 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 I don't even, even want to go there. Yeah. Um, uh, it, you know, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I've tried to imagine the various ways in which these third-party candidates might change the complexion of the election. Um, certainly, uh, there is the possibility that that they might get asked questions and actually start answering them in various contexts, yeah, which is cool? which is something that uh, that some other candidates just decide not to do, for example. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I don't want to sort of segue too firmly away from this uh, to to another topic. But I mean, Hillary Clinton this week, we've gotten some new emails, some very new email drama related to the Clinton Foundation uh, in this particular case. It's not the sort of stuff that sets you on fire unless you already hate Hillary Clinton and really, really have it out for her. Or unless you're paying attention. Um, right? or, or unless you're paying attention. But we, but we may have a, a slight difference of opinion on this. Um, and, and I definitely want you guys to weigh in um, because I've, I have paid um, sort of a little bit of attention to, to the, the Clinton Foundation uh, portion of the story. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I do wonder, you know, if they are getting asked tough questions and if they're answering it, maybe that changes the complexion of things. And certainly on the debate stage, I mean, some of the most pointed questions might come from uh, 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 Gary Johnson or Jill Stein turning to one of their opponents on the debate Stein, stage. Stein would. She's a honey some, badger. She really hates questions. Hillary Clinton with yeah. uh, but, a white hot. Passion. But I, I don't know that. I don't know that substance is ever really the thing, anyways, in in journalism. Because again, like the big story this week, um, in addition to the Hillary Clinton story that I just mentioned, is whether or not Donald Trump actually <laughs> did threaten or suggest that uh, someone yeah. should kill Hillary Clinton. Um, and his rationalization for uh, for what he did not did say. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about this. There's, uh, you which, know, which this. I the whole yeah the whole seven ten. I'm still I'm it. literally still thinking of Jill Stein in a honey badger costume. But uh, <laughs> that's, let me just get beyond that now. No, the I the, this kind of weirdness with um, with Trump is that what happens when he says something like this? He is unlike any other candidate in the history of the modern presidency, not because of what he says, but, well, that's probably true too, <laughs> but uh, be, how people react to it, there's no parsing of this anymore. So you get you get the um, thing that pops up on my phone from the New York Times about about Donald Trump hating crying babies and kicking them out of uh, of uh, his his speech, which which wasn't true and turned out not to be true. And either way, is a stupid kind of, you know, meta story. But it's th there's the pile on. There is nobody. I don't think there's anybody in this room. Maybe Matt. Um, I don't think there's anyone alive that hates Donald Trump more than I do. And I want to make that abundantly clear. But does the media treat him differently? 
and should they? I think that's a, an interesting question because the the um, shooting Hillary thing, you can read it a couple of ways, right? You know, I think that what he was doing was doing the classic Donald Trump thing where you can read it a couple of ways. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the kind of subterranean thing, like get my joke. You know, what was the other one the other week, a few weeks ago where he said that he was joking about something? And uh, I talked about it on Bill Maher's show, actually. Somebody, uh, what was the, the, the so big... You already for, the big we've already the big, forgotten, yeah, yeah. The big controversy. I mean, it is actually that crazy, this campaign, that we've already forgotten. Some insane thing that he was supposedly joking about, maybe well, he I wasn't mean, joking about. Read the whole paragraph. Andrew Carell, our friend, uh, uh, pointed out on Twitter, just like, no, no, just read the whole paragraph. Try try to read the whole paragraph and like figure out what he's doing. None of it makes you sense. You can never, it's just trying he, to read he Trump blurts in this direction yeah. and he blurts in that direction. And this was a, a mid directional blurt. And then there's another. Yeah. Blurt. I think what, what actually gives it you was, a sense it of was, uh, the Russia comments, by the way, about the one I was forgetting oh, right. about hacking. Oh. Um, you know, and that yes. for, for most people in the way Donald Trump is and the way he carries himself and his personality and his character that he plays on TV and now behind a lectern uh, running for the presidency he this is part of what he does you know oh, come on you know you go ahead and try but everyone else is treating this seriously and he isn't and i think that's the fundamental difference it's just like what i'm just making a joke i'm not actually suborning the hacking of hillary clinton it's like no but when you're in this position you kind of are right and when you're i mean there's i can't think of any other candidate by the way that would make a joke uh, about you know another candidate in the way that he made a quote unquote joke about Hillary Clinton. Do I have and you're right about what Andrew Carell said. I had no idea what he was saying. Was he saying the lobby? Was he saying you know NRA? Was he saying legislation? Blah blah blah. I, who knows? Because the guy doesn't speak in adult sentences, so this is, makes it very very difficult to parse what he says. Yeah, which is a, an argument for um, not uh, having them as the nominee. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> speaking in adult sentences is, yeah. is, is okay. It's, yeah. it's, it's uh, I think it's a, it's a decent precondition. Um, I uh, Moynihan uh, was uh, I've, I've decided that I'm going to be to have my own uh, obscure idiosyncratic outrages at Donald Trump uh, just because I'm as soon as everyone piles on, I get bored. Um, <laughs> and so mine uh, this week came from Andrea Pizer, who oh, uh, yeah, is I, yeah. a nightmare columnist for The New York Post. Uh, and she decided uh, uh, this week, a couple days ago, showily to say, that's it. I'm done with Trump. I'm sorry. I got to get off the Trump train. Um, uh, as you pointed out uh, Moynihan on Twitter, yes. you know, that's very courageous in August of, uh, of 2016. Like now, <laughs> yeah. uh, after after all this kind of stuff. And this is someone who knows him, who has spent a lot of time with him. The detail that gets sticks in my craw and I, and I'm, I can't I can't work my <laughs> is way out of it. It's Andrea Pizer. And a, she, it's too much for her. It's too much. For, yeah, exactly. She's if, insane. If you, <laughs> if you have outraged the delicate sensibilities oh of Andrea Pizer. <laughs> what is happening? Pa what, Pamela Geller is going to start. Yeah, announcing yeah, yeah it's like and he's a little mean to the Muslim. Uh, but uh, there's a little detail in this, which was uh, she was with him, uh, presumably on a helicopter somewhere, not long after his last uh, spawn was born. Uh, and so Trump's there. Uh, Andrew Pizer's there. And Melania is there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and so uh, Trump just decides, apropos of nothing, to brag, five kids never changed a diaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that offended Andrew Start, but no, yeah. it offends me for a second. Start yeah. thinking about the mindset that where you would either a brag about that, 
or B, yeah. lie about that in yeah. front of your fucking wife. Yeah, yeah. That's you're humiliating your wife while while admitting. Why a, do you presume that she changed? Exactly. I was just about to say. Can we talk about she didn't in change five those years, diapers in five children? The none of the wives have changed that <laughs> either. No, this they is didn't not change like, diapers. You know, yes, that's double, the brag. Yeah, the brag exactly. is I am so rich yeah. that everyone else does all of the unpleasant things with my children. That is that is what he's saying. You've and, got, you've and there's got to no have real reason to believe of, You've got a lot of help. And then when they grow up, I want to have sex with them. It's basically <laughs> oh the God. theme. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, that's almost. what Donald Trump, I'm not talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> he's, I mean, look, he's at the convention. He's touching her weirdly on stage, which well, were made into loops on, on uh, Twitter. You that was that, weird. Right? That was, was weird. very weird. Yeah, it was a little, it was a little, yeah, it was handsy. very weird. A little handsy. But yeah, to the point of like actually speaking the English language, um, which is kind of an important point for a president. I mean, it brings me back to the John. Yeah, it depends on what you want him to do. Well, yeah, I mean, like, look, we, he said it. I mean, we didn't say it publicly, but it was reported by the New York Times when John Kasich was approached for the for the vice president. For, you know, do you want this slot? And he said, "What is my remit?" What do I do? And he said, domestic and foreign policy. And <laughs> yeah. he said, well, what does Mr. Trump do? And the guy responded, make America great again. Yeah, he's going to be America's a, cheerleader. Like amazing. That's what he wants to it's do. It's like so psychotic. He's the Mickey Mouse of the United States. <laughs> that is what he wants. He's running yeah. for Mickey Mouse. Yeah, he's like a which sort is... of Putin-esque Mickey Mouse. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that was, seeing this when I was at the RNC and having, it was during his speech that a, that an alert popped up on my phone that, and we talked about NATO last week, that he said, you know, I'll just leave Estonia to Russian T-35 tanks or whatever they have these days. I have no idea. And, you know, the other day, it was actually a story today, again, on the Russia front, um, uh, Josh Rogan, actually, in the, the Washington Post, said another one of Trump's advisors has very, very deep connections to Moscow. And he laid them out. This guy was an economic advisor, Paul Manafort. So I was thinking about Paul Manafort, who was a who was an advisor to Viktor Yanukovych last night, and I advise all of you to watch this. And look, I understand that it comes from a very, very particular perspective, but Netflix produced, um, or maybe bought, produced a documentary about the revolution in Ukraine, the Maidan revolution. It is called A Winter's Something or Other, uh, Winter on Fire, it's called. Mm -hmm. um, and I watched it last night, and good God, it is a good film, and they leave out some stuff that I think is pretty vital. But from the perspective of the Maidan and the Viktor Yanukovych's and, uh, versus the protesters, anyone who watches that documentary and took money from that regime should go shoot themselves in the face. It is so horrifying of what the reaction was to those protesters. And I realized watching this, wait a second, the main man buttressing Donald Trump's campaign was being paid to, to, to flack for this stuff that was happening. And when you watch it, it is so brutal and so bloody and so appalling that despite the fact that what they leave out is, you know, there's some people that are neo-fascists that are involved in these protests, et cetera. But most of the people that you see here are just ordinary Ukrainians who don't like Russian power encroaching upon, upon um, their country. And it's amazing in the annals of what happens in D.C. And people in D.C. take money for anything. I mean, hmm. I went to Libya with the Qaddafi Foundation, and I wrote a piece for reason about it, sure making did. making fun of them. And you brought back some badass swag. I bought some well. swag. I bought some yeah. Qaddafi watch. And green was, books. A lot of green books. Mm. And that trip, um, I will say publicly, which I didn't write in the piece, um, was uh, from a consultancy called Brown Lloyd James. Do you know who the Brown is in Brown Lloyd James? And, uh, you know. Downtown and, Julie? I wish it was. <laughs> 
Peter Brown, who is the former late manager of the Beatles, who is mentioned. Peter Brown. Yeah, he's, me- he's mentioned in the Battle of John Yoko, and he now flacks for dictators and all sorts of these people. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, he was doing it for Libya and I believe maybe <sighs> Syria. I don't want to defame them and get in trouble, so I, I scratch that. But Brown Lloyd James, they were doing all this work for these horrible people. And then you see, you know, you keep those guys away from campaigns. And there's a story the other the other day that once Manafort comes on is when all the changes happen about the language about Putin and, you know, the changes that happen at the RNC. And like this is a pretty well, scummy thing. That's well, happening speaking here. speaking of unsavory connections to uh, to dictators um, and other uh, <laughs> nasty people, um, the Clinton Foundation uh, is, again, in the news, as I mentioned a little earlier, um, the the top quick summary of the story developments uh, right now, and you guys can can slap me in the back of my head if I'm wrong here, um, is that we do have some new emails. The emails suggest that Hillary Clinton and members of her staff were, in fact, despite the fact that uh, Ms. Clinton suggested um, when she was uh, before Congress, before taking over, uh, taking the reins at the, at the State Department, um, that she would not be taking a hands-on role and things at the yes. Clinton Foundation that she would be stepping back, that she would there would be a wall there, that it would be very transparent, um, because she didn't even want there to be the appearance of uh, impropriety on her part. Um, fortunately, the Clinton Foundation, an enormous um, nonprofit organization with what two thousand odd employees Jesus. that pulls in is a that ton mu- is of that much? yeah yeah two thousand odd employees um, that pulls in a ton of money um, and I believe in certain years has spent something like six odd percent of it on actually doing um, like not direct nonprofit charitable giving. It sounds it seems as though the the Clinton Foundation's principal thing is shuttling about important, prominent people uh, in very luxurious fashion so that they can go speak about things that are important to them in various places. Uh, The thing about this, uh, which, you know, fine, if that's what you do, um, it's the sources of the money, uh, which oftentimes comes from some pretty nefarious places. Um, And the fact that at the time that this thing exists and before it exists, um, the Clinton Foundation is ascent. Uh, Miss Clinton is the Secretary of State, and there is the sense that people are essentially paying for access to Hillary Clinton. Sure. Um, now, this is the thing. Th- I, I use the word "the sense." I use the phrase "the sense" um, because I don't know that there is any sort of clear obvious smoking gun here that says, hey, this thing happened and it would not have happened but for the money that came. Um, And the other reason, and and not to sanitize this at all, because it sounds kind of gross because it is, um, but there is a sense in which any person in politics, American politics, who leaves for some time and goes to work in the private sector, uh, even if what I just described is something that kind of sort of qualifies, it is very likely that people will do things for them that they might not have done in other context and other circumstances mm-hmm. in order to curry favor with them so that they can have access later. Um, this happens a lot. And with the Clinton Foundation, so far as I'm concerned, what seems to be happening here is not so much a matter of the kind of thing being so much worse, but it is the scale and yeah. the scope at which it is happening and perhaps the level upon which it is happening. Well, let's not forget that, that the man who is running against Hillary Clinton said that he was once friends with Hillary Clinton and invited Hillary and Bill to his wedding so he could bribe them. 
That's what Donald Trump said. Yes, he says what? he says that he has uh, bribed politicians all yeah, all his life. I, I mean, he, his did, he on the Clinton thing. To be clear, he didn't say specifically, uh -huh. but he said he basically said the reason I was friendly with them is because sure. I needed things. Yeah, and you know, it's not only someone who is being that you know has the sense of impropriety. We don't know the Clinton Foundation. It's very very dodgy. Peter Schweitzer's book Clinton Clinton Cash, Cash. I think it's called. Should have you know, gone with case. Has uh, <laughs> exactly has uh, been attacked by a lot of people, but there's a lot of stuff in there that hasn't been attacked um, that strikes me as pretty odd. And, um, you know, on the other end of that, you have a guy that's feeding into that machine by saying, I am a very rich man and I'm going to buy what I need. And also a guy that will be happily bulldoze grandmother's house to put up a parking lot for his failing yes, casino. abusing eminent domain. Yeah. But, I, but I mean, I laid I laid the story out that way because when I hear the the hand ringing or see the hand ringing and hear the protests related to this story, it makes me scratch my head a little bit. Um, and I wonder, is... Did you just become too cynical for it, words? I don't know that it's that I've become too cynical. I I'm, I'm, I'm really am just trying to put it into context. Yeah, and, think, in, and in context... I think scale is... I don't know. Scale is a nice way of putting it. And also, you know, there's different levels. There's like the Paul Manafort Jr. varsity level of... Uh, <laughs> Of uh, of uh, propping up semi dictators and then being uh, kind of a creature in American politics. Who's the Democrat? I was just been trying to Google it. You're better at Google than I am. There's a Democrat who always does this. His name is he's not Mickey Cantor, but he, someone kind of in that range who's just always apologizing for shitty dictators. Oh, Lanny Davis. L Lanny Davis. Yeah. Thank you. He Moynihan. Lanny Davis. Moynihan, yeah, you've Lanny, done it again. <laughs> what I love about Lanny Davis is he was plumping for some. African dictatorship, and I believe this was like a couple of years ago. The Times did a story about it, and I believe it was of a country that I'd never heard of. <laughs> and I was like, eh, I'm pretty good at geography. I'm like, what? Where is that? It's like one of those uh, Olympic nations that come, and you're like, yeah, wait exactly. a second, that is not a real that's place, not a country. That is Chinese Taipei. <laughs> what? I, honestly, like I'm working out while I'm watching the the opening ceremonies, but there were several times where I saw something and I said, that is not a place. Now uh, that is not a place, and I caught that, and I don't know if anyone else did. I was. But I'm not going to say anything. Because I'm a man. I was uh, drinking wine and drunk blogging fashion uh, at the opening ceremonies. Um, <laughs> we are careening out of control here. Yeah. No, this is this is right. Oh, you're going to bring this back to the Clinton thing. No, okay. I'm not. Uh, <laughs> but I, you, uh, Camille, since you descend from uh, Caribbean-style uh, parents, um, the Caribbean kicked everyone's ass on fashion. It just wasn't even close. Ooh, ooh. Huh. Uh, St. Kitts was bringing wow. the noise. What just about like, Nevis? Was Nevis involved? I think Nevis did okay. <laughs> Aren't uh, they one country? It's not, it's not, I don't know if it's I one country. No, they're, they're, they're like Nevis. neighboring, yeah, 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 they're no, neighboring yeah. islands. Don't, you yeah, say them together like Trinidad to, and Tobago. Like, I, remember Unless there's I did, like get, a I did get married, I did get married on Nevis. I believe it was Trinidad. And I met Thomas L. Friedman in the, uh, in the airport and we talked about, uh, we talked about the Iraq war. Did, did he take a cab to the airport in which he found out everything there is to know about Nevis and wrote a column? He, wait, he may wait, have. What, what year did you talk to Thomas L. Friedman about this the Iraq was, war? This was 11-odd uh, years ago. So Matt, Matt does some subtraction. Wow. Yeah. This, it's, it is, so around it's a hot, 2005. It's a, hot, it's a hot war. It's <laughs> wow. a hot war, and he was uh, in favor of it. Did and you, that's what we I'll were talking what, about. Th Thomas Friedman um, is the worst. Jerry, he's the worst. But <laughs> I, one thing I will say is he used to be very good on trade. 
Yes. Um, well, this very, is very why this yeah. is why like this Lexus is actually why I went and talked to him yeah. because the Lexus and the Olive Tree is a book that I read yeah, um, a during a, a course that yeah. I was doing at the, on the WTO at University yeah. of Maryland, and it was a really great defense of globalization and the free market. I thought it was yeah. I thought it was great. Um, in fact, I mean, I was pretty well persuaded by two people. Uh, that my perspective on the Iraq war was probably wrong. My perspective at the time was that we probably shouldn't do this. Um, but there was some guy named Christopher Hitchens mm-hmm. and some other guy named Thomas L. Friedman. And I found both of their uh, writing on the subject fairly compelling. Uh, but I was also undergoing a weird metamorphosis from yeah. strange Democrat who hadn't thought about many things to Republican because – well, if you're not a Democrat, you're a Republican, and then ended up wherever the hell I am, somewhere yeah. between a Rothbardistan and a Nozickville, a weirdo, libertarian, anarchist. Yeah. By the way, they're in, in both of those places he just mentioned, there are no roads. <laughs> well, who's going to no pay for people. the roads? Who's, who's going to pay for the roads? Uh, yes, that's because, well, we don't, that's because race is a social construct. Uh, yeah, exactly. well, we, have no, we have no need for that. Except for in Rothbardistan. But, but, I, but I do want to go back to the Clinton thing. I do. I love the scale. You know, it's the scale, yeah, Camille. The scale. So you Tell have me. Bill Clinton was the fucking president. Yes, he was. Hillary Clinton at the time the first black president was the secretary <laughs> of state. That's kind of a big thing. Yeah. So they created this Davos that can that can assemble at any given time. Right. Uh, and of course, it's it's about influence and creating. A, I mean, it, it's you're creating a society that Camille Foster can't get into. That Bernie Sanders can't get into, though maybe he can. They'll invite him to like uh-huh. some sub Aspen, yeah. Uh, you know, to to spit at the walls uh, <laughs> or something like that. But of course, it's going to be a place for you know the uh, the deputy finance minister of Turk Shittistan to lay down ten million dollars, <laughs> yes. so that he can maybe get a meeting with a pipeline company, right? And that's how it it gets done. It, and it's not. It doesn't have to be direct. It doesn't have to be. I mean, I don't think that. I don't think if you wrote. You know, Bill or Hillary Clinton a check for a million dollars, that's going to raise their eyebrows at this yeah, and, point. And what I'm saying is, though, I, I, I agree with you. I hear all of that. I just don't. One, I don't really know what you do about it um, because I don't know that the that this happening is so much different than like dark money in politics. Ooh, spooky. Like the truth is that there's always a very short list at the White House in terms of the people who can get in. Right. And you either have to be really rich or really influential to get in. Generally speaking, you want to be both of those things. That gets you in the door. That gets you on the agenda. And that that helps to is, that helps to move the ball along. I guess. I mean, I that's, mean that's, I, I, I think that is a, a part of that is a yeah, part sure, of the sure, way sure. this works. No, I, I agree. But I think that I would make an argument that people would yell at me for. And it's a slightly heterodox one in the sense that we've come, I think, to the conclusion recently that you can't buy an election. This has been kind of a an old trope. Everyone said, you know, the Koch brothers can put all this money in and they're just going to buy an election and they yeah, kind of not kind of not like kind of a losing <laughs> that was, record. That sometimes. accent was like mid uh, Sanders and then a little Rosanna Rosanna Dana. Thrown yeah, on top yeah, of it. yeah, that's <laughs> definitely was an oligarchy. Yeah, yeah. So that's that kind of thing. Uh, doesn't exist. Uh, you can't really do it. I mean, you can, they, look, it helps. And no one's going to deny that it doesn't help. And everyone says, well, there's some down ballot races that they just buy. And I haven't seen a ton of evidence of that. But, you know, we go back to Michael Huffington, the man who gave us Ariana Huffington. What was her name before? Ariana, like... Uh, Grande? That's not yeah, the same yeah. person? Papadopoulos uh, or yeah. something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something. yeah. And so, um, you know, a great example of somebody for running a, for a congressional seat in California. It was a 
four, four. and was slaughtered despite the fact that he had um, a bazillion dollars and his opponent had like six bucks. And but, Ariana was put on the cover of Time magazine as like the most dangerous woman in America yeah, yeah, because yeah. she was a conservative. Because she's a conservative, yeah. yeah. Now she's writing books about how to sleep. And uh, <laughs> the answer is read, read this her book. book. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got we've got a lot to do. Uh, so let's uh, transition quickly, uh, perhaps to uh, some some other heavy material. Um, this is the well. Yesterday, I guess we are recording this on a Wednesday. It doesn't matter what day it is. Yesterday for us was the second year anniversary, or the second anniversary of the death of Mike Brown in Ferguson. Uh, there were a lot of Black Lives Matter activists and uh, similarly affiliated persons who were out in force in Ferguson. Um, and there there was actually, I mean, it was uh, pretty crazy to see if you saw the video of it. Um, someone got hit by a car, um, which was apparently yeah. an accident, uh, is, is the latest reporting suggests that it was an accident. It wasn't a yeah. deliberate thing. Um, but then there was some shooting uh, afterwards. Someone yeah. some pulled out a gun shooting. and started shooting. Did you say light shooting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a with a real gun um, and real bullets. I mean, um, and they, and they are currently I, looking for somebody that person. drives in an erratic way, and I'm outside. I usually just shoot at them. Yeah, that yeah. seems to be a normal. Well, it's, it's not so much that they were driving in an erratic way, uh, because they were driving on the street. The problem is that a protester decided to go out and obstruct traffic um, by himself. If you watch the video, so it's it's hairy stuff. But that's not what I really wanted to talk about. There are two sort of related stories. Um, one with the Justice Department's recent report on the situation in Baltimore. And uh, this is a a report that has been described by many as scathing, uh, uncovering the systematic discrimination in Baltimore. Virtually every article I've seen about this story um, is about uh, the racism and the bias that exists in the Baltimore Police Department. Um, And the other story is uh, one about a guy, a kid named Paul O'Neill, who died Uh, He had stolen a car in Chicago and was being pursued, or at least the the police were trying to stop him at this point. Um, And he died uh, while the police were trying to take him into custody. And this has sparked outrage. So, I mean, clearly the fruits of the Black Lives Matter, um, the Black Lives Matter really movement really did sort of find its roots in this Ferguson event. Um, And. Two years later, I mean, we're we're measuring the activism still continues. They've had an impact and some influence in presidential politics. Uh, But it does seem to me uh, just to focus on this Paul O'Neill story first, and then maybe we can transition to Baltimore quickly and get your thoughts on it, that despite the fact that the media is working really, really hard to find stories that fit these narratives, not because there is any bias, but because, look, it's well-worn. It's it is well-worn ground. It's easy. We know this story works if it's happening, we want to make certain that it gets covered. Um, but this story feels like a stretch to me. Um, a kid who steals a car is driving it erratically through the suburbs at very high speeds, nearly strikes and kills a police officer, and the police, like, fire at him. He's, I don't know if you can call him unarmed in that context, and there is certainly something to be said for the cops firing after um, a car that is driving by in a residential neighborhood. Like you could hit a kid, right? There could be a stray yeah, I bullet. Think, I think that's against that, the rules of right. engagement. Yeah. Well, but, but that car, had that speeding car hit a kid, like that would have also been bad. And what is astonishing to me is like the outpouring of support for Paul O'Neill and his family from the community in which all of this transpired. And it's, they seem to get 
straight away that, yeah, yeah. I mean, what if my kid had been outside? They could have been hit by those stray bullets. Well, what if your kid had been outside? They could have been run over by Paul O'Neill, who was stealing a car and was driving through your neighborhood streets recklessly. Yeah, we got the parable of the scene and the unseen. We have a seen dead kid. Yeah. We don't, we have an unseen potential. Someone might've gotten hit by a car. I don't think it's that hard to understand. And, And you have this in a community where the police department sucks, where crime is everywhere. Although in this particular neighborhood, it's like it's a pretty good neighborhood. But broader Chicago. But yeah. Um, yeah, you have that. So I, I can understand uh, all of that. What I don't uh, understand is why there aren't more uh, more attention paid to the actual massive amounts of pretty interesting and pretty damning conclusions by the Justice Department when they got in there with Baltimore, mm-hmm. just like when they got in there with Ferguson. I mean, the Justice Department's Ferguson report, uh, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, underlined, oh, by the way, you know, this was probably ruled correctly with the officer involved there in, That's in, right. in the shooting. Yeah. Um, but that the pattern and practices of this department and a lot of departments around them, as our friend Radley Balco has shown in his reporting of it, really, really suck. And they shake down poor people on purpose and they uh, use way too much force and they have all kinds of incentives to not reform and to lie on the witness stand and do all these kind of terrible things. These are really interesting and damning reports. And the one on Baltimore is very much the same way. I mean, the the opening page on that has so many like, uh, you know, flatly unconstitutional, you know, deprive people of rights. It's not a heavy race document. There is race stuff in there for right. sure. Yeah. Uh, you're in Baltimore after all. Uh, yeah. But uh, it is it is heavy on actually describing a completely dysfunctional uh, and violent kind of police department and uh, and, and bad relationship with, with uh, a high crime city. Uh, and I think that's more interesting. And before you jump in, Moynihan, yeah. I mean, the, the key the key phrase in the very first essentially bullet in this Justice Department report about Baltimore today is that the systematic sort of civil liberties abuses were, quote, a consequence of insufficient training and a lack of oversight, which is not at all astonishing. Yeah, not at all astonishing. They also um, very specifically, actually, and surprisingly blamed zero tolerance that started in the 1990s in Baltimore, which is a similar version of broken windows policing. Mm -hmm. Martin O'Malley. uh, Yeah, Martin O'Malley. Yeah, who is on trying to defend himself today on MSNBC. I read, I spent a little time with this document today, and, and, and Matt is absolutely right. And the interesting thing is after Mike Brown's two-year anniversary is actually the two-year anniversary of the complete shift in media coverage of all yeah. this stuff, where race is mentioned, and race is a factor, and race is mentioned quite a bit in the report, but it's not the only thing. So, for instance, an incredibly interesting bit in that report, nobody talked about, by the way, the conclusions in what going forward, the Baltimore Police Department should actually do. That was, right. that was, it was you know, there were recommendations in there. And of course, it's going to be overseen by a federal judge. And so they're going to have to implement these things over a couple, three, four, five-year period. But one of the things that was interesting, the entire section on this was not only violation of the Fourth Amendment, but the violation of the First Amendment rights of people in Baltimore. A big section on this, basically reported by no one. And what is the First Amendment violation that you get from the Baltimore cops? Basically, you have kids who are, you know, patted down, said, what are you doing out here? And they say, fuck you. And mm-hmm. you know what? They have every right to do that. Yeah. It's a free country, and they can say, fuck you to the cops. And, the, and they, they document one after another of police making up their own protocol in situations like this and say, what do you say to me? That's right. Like, what do you say to me? Like, oh, you're, 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 uh, you know, um, disrupting an investigation or some, you know, nonsense charges. And they have all these very specific things of people 
being like, you know, like they'll say something like this. And then 20 minutes later, the cops will swing back around and cuff him for like, you, you look like you're somebody uh, that was reported to us on the commission of a crime or something. So it's a really interesting thing that it's a huge issue for us these days, because why do we know about all this stuff with cops? Why do we care so much about this stuff with cops? Because of cameras. And the reason we have cameras, because they're cheap and they're easy and your iPhone shoots 4K, by the way, if you have an iPhone 6, and this was, you can remember this, Matt, and the reason you used to write about it all the time, I know you can too, Camille, at a recent time when people would routinely be arrested for, for trying to, to film the police, which is their right on public pro property, et cetera, et cetera. And so- Especially in Chicago. And especially in Chicago. And this is a thing that has been an issue for a long time. Now, we're at a phase, we're getting so used to it, and the cops are actually pretty key, keyed into this, that, that you can't just bust people for, for filming from across the street. And this report addresses Baltimore's own version of that and how people are systematically mm -hmm. having their First Amendment rights trampled. This doesn't do with race, so no one cares. It's not sexy. Right. You know, it's not, it's not leading because it's not about race. But this is a huge part of this report, and it's a very, very compelling section of the report, and I, I recommend people read it. I, th I think it's actually enormously compelling, and the, the issue I have with this here, and, and this is something we've talked about a bunch before, and I, I always get pushback, not, not, not so much here, although I get it here sometimes too, um, but in other contexts is, well, you're ignoring Ignoring, you're ignoring the fact that blacks are so dramatically overrepresented in these numbers. Well, no, I, I just think that when you reach a point where concerns over finding the racial bias um, yeah. seem to supersede the concerns sure. about civil liberties issues, uh, you might be in the wrong place. Yeah, um, yeah. And it is especially problematic in a place like Baltimore where the, the police department is pretty pretty dark. Pretty dark. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of minority representation. Um, and in a place where, look, Baltimore had one of the worst years it has had last year uh, in terms of violent crime and homicide. The numbers were astonishing. Uh, there are plenty of important patterns and data points that are worth paying attention to. The one that really stood out to me when I looked at this, and this won't surprise you guys, um, is that the overwhelming majority of the people who were killed in Baltimore um, last year during this horrible year, um, had some sort of prior criminal conviction. And about 80% of those people um, had some sort of drug conviction. Um, like, this is a relevant factor. Absolutely. The fact that these folks happen to be black and that black people are more likely to get stopped and frisked in Baltimore, perhaps this is racially motivated, but we also know that there may be any number of other factors, like you're in the wrong, you're in this particular bad neighborhood and we're the police and we stop people around here. That's what we do. And you know, you we rough point, you up. You point out a really good thing is that we, we, we parse the racial data in such a sort of minute way. And you know, and, and some, and some, it's just, it's not imaginative, uh, you know, at all. And sometimes I'm happy that it exists. I just, I think some, uh, speaking of unimaginative, I think some of the conclusions that are drawn from that are pretty, pretty lazy. Mm -hmm. But if we're parsing the racial data that, that, um, you know, in such minute in sort of granular detail. I find it pretty interesting that I have not seen what Camille just said, and which is true, I looked it up today, is that I can't find a single story about this that does uh, mention the racial composition of the Baltimore police force, which is a, ma a majority minority police force, um, like many big city police, like, like also like New York City. Um, and the same thing is true with, you know, chief, chief of police and, you know, the 16 out of so many captains are minorities, black, Hispanic, et cetera. 
you know, and look, if we are going to parse this stuff and we it doesn't go one way, I've said this on this show before, is that that stuff is relevant because it complicates things. It complicates things that the Freddie Gray, there were six six cops uh, uh, put, well, four were put on trial, three uh, tossed out, fourth a hung jury, two others, uh, with, I'm sorry, three innocent, one hung jury, two others tossed out after they knew they had nothing. But it was very rarely mentioned and, and almost buried in a lot of places that three of those those cops and the, the one of the sort of ringleaders that they were trying to put put you know in, in prison were themselves black. And that does actually complicate the narrative. And I think that what it focuses things on is policing in these neighborhoods. And I think one of the best things, smartest things about this report is that the phenomenal undertraining of these cops. They basically have either no training, don't understand protocol, or are really bad at their jobs, and no one's checking up on them. You know, you have to get licenses renewed for braiding your hair, or you know, braid like whatever it might be. Uh, you know, every couple of years, right. or whatever. This, these, they have no idea, and, and there's all these really amazing bits about training. And what this does is it focuses on training, and it focuses on people who feel like they're in a war zone. And they see the uptick in crime and they start acting like soldiers. And I think that some of this stuff is, is irrespective of race. I know it's not popular to say, but I think some of it's irrespective of race. And I think that I, the racial breakdown of the, of the department would suggest that, that, that there's some truth to that. And also when you focus on civil liberties, you can get to focusing on solutions. Race, yes. Race is a hard thing to it's, solve. It's, it's astonishing. What lies in people's hearts is kind of difficult to reform. Right. Um, but you can say, hey, that incentive doesn't work. Yeah, it feels good to talk about, though. Because we hate those yes. racists, we hate those racists, and it, it makes us feel good about ourselves. Um, so somebody got a some idiot wrote this for today. Oh yeah, I mean there's so many, <laughs> so many things that I've I promised seen flying around. on Twitter that I would that I would talk about. Who, who's got? Do you got something, Matt? I think it's, had. it's tepid, uh, but it's okay. But you can indulge. Harry Anton from Five Thirty Eight wrote this thing the other day, <laughs> <laughs> and you, you don't think he's that bad. No, right. Harry Hinton is good. 538 is good. I mean, they, they understand polls in ways that I, I obviously cannot. Uh, but he uh, in, a, in a Bernie Sanders post, he said uh, uh, Johnson's support, uh, Gary Johnson's support uh, has been trending downward slightly. That suggests voters may be moving away from third party options. <laughs> OK, um, and uh, which is fine if, yeah, yeah, if, it's, if, fine. if yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a little footnote in it because he's one of those sites that use the uh, irritating Grantlet footnotes. Uh, footnote number three. Remember, we're, that suggests voters may be moving away from third party options. Uh, what's what's in that footnote? Footnote. <laughs> um, 538 doesn't measure uh, Jill Stein's. So it's all dependent on uh, on uh, and, and she's been polling pretty well, at least until the last couple of days, uh, consistently at four um, uh, percent. And so I went back and said, look, OK, so is Johnson really going down slightly? And again, I'm not a forecaster or everything like that. But so there's 12 post convention polls. So everything's been digested. Here's those 12. I took those 12 polling companies and saw what Johnson and Stein were getting at before the convention started. Mm -hmm. I figured they same methodologies, apples sure, to apples. Sure. We can do that. One of them, 8.8% .8 for Johnson. The other one, 
3.9% for Johnson. One of them was 3.8% for Stein. The other one, 3.9% for Stein. There isn't anything moving away yet. Uh, Traditionally, uh, you know, the the polling numbers for third parties are cut in half between now and Election Day because people freak out. They say, Supreme Court, and then they all uh, go and vote. That's what usually happens, and it's not happening so far now, um, and it's lazy of Harry Anton to conclude otherwise. Damn it. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, that was some in the weeds nerd <laughs> nerd. Somebody wrote this because I would like I would re, I would actually re-hashtag that segment. You know, some guy who's usually pretty good wrote something that annoyed Matt. Um, okay, uh, so mine on this one is I'm gonna I'm gonna go after a dopey uh, conservative. Um, uh, named Rachel Alexander. And the great thing about Rachel Alexander is I click on her at townhall.com. Oh. Um, and she is the editor of The Intellectual Conservative. What does The Intellectual Conservative write? What's the sort of intellectual fare that we're getting <laughs> from Miss Rachel Alexander? Well, Seth Rich was the DNC staffer who was murdered uh, tragically oh, in D.C. Yes, yes. And on Town Hall, which is, a, which is you know, mostly a legitimate... Uh, organization, but, you know, it just kind of red meat conservative stuff. This is what she wrote about um, um, uh, Seth Rich's murder. Some are speculating that Hillary Clinton is behind the murder <laughs> because oh. Rich could have been the DNC staffer responsible for leaking 20,000 damaging DNC emails to WikiLeaks. Um, as I've said on this um, uh, uh, broadcast before, they weren't that damaging. Uh, and not enough to murder a guy <laughs> over, yeah, who clearly didn't have anything you, to do with it. You don't know Hillary. Yeah, I don't know Hillary. Um, <laughs> Um, that's, that's, this is great. Uh, Emily Zanotti of Heat Street, who is no leftist, has written a skeptical article about the conspiracy theory surrounding his death, analyzing Reddit threads. Apparently on Reddit is where this stuff lives. This yeah. is my favorite line in any column I have read in the past month, because Rachel Alexander, you, my dear, are my hero of stupidity. Reddit has contributors covering the circumstances of his death extensively, but they are professional journalists and mostly anonymous can get things wrong which hurts the credibility of their speculation. Now, the myth myth debunking site Snopes labeled the suspicion over Rich's death as false. This is strange, says Comrade Alexander. Since how does Snopes know what is false? (laughs) The police haven't even completed their investigation yet, which Snopes admits. My dear, let me say one thing to you. I don't know if you heard that there were Nazis, a gang of Nazis, 25 of them, that slit this guy's throat and killed him and stole everything from him, and it said there's a Nazi uprising. How do you know that that's not true? The police (laughs) have not finished their investigation. Congratulations, Rachel Alexander. You are the dumbest person on the internet this week. (laughs) Okay, I was a little Um, stronger than Harry Anson. (laughs) That's a little strong. That's a little strong. Well, parting parting shot uh, for this week. Um, last Friday, uh, and this is a thing in Washington when you uh, when you have something that you want to release and you don't want anyone to pay any attention to it, and you hope that it gets lost in the news cycle, you release it on late Friday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, and late Friday afternoon, the Obama administration finally reduced released what has been called the White House's uh, drone playbook. It is essentially the internal guidance that the administration uses uh, when it is conducting its drone attacks. In various places where they are killing uh, terrorists, Al Qaeda affiliated organizations, um, and uh, even c- carrying out these signature strikes where they do not know exactly who they're killing, but these people fit some sort of profile. The the reason I use the phrase some sort of profile is because we don't know what that profile is. Um, and this document was actually written um, about three years ago. 
uh, but we didn't have it. We didn't have access to it. There were things said in public on occasion where the president would kind of give us some sense of what it what it takes to get yourself killed by the United States government um, in a place that isn't necessarily a war zone um, for some criteria that we don't really know. Um, but this document comes out. Um, it's not heavily redacted, uh, but it is still fairly vague. Um, the conditions under which you can actually be killed are still uh, pretty, pretty amorphous. Um, and this is this is deeply problematic for any number of reasons. But since this is a parting shot, I'm not going to go long here. Um, I'm going to leave you with two thoughts. Um, the first of which is um, I wonder if President Donald Trump would have been able to get away with not talking about the criteria that he was using for killing people by drones for three years and point. no one talks about it. And point. I wonder if he'd be able to drop that thing on Friday evening and barely anybody would get into it. And in fact, most of the articles and coverage that I read about it, like barely mentioned the fact that the ACLU effectively forced the administration to release this document. Second quick thing, um, the administration also has touted the importance of transparency with respect to these drone programs. Um, and they have, they have their own estimates of the number of civilian casualties. Um, it just so happens that those Estimates fall far short of the estimates um, of all of the private organizations that are trying to measure the same sort of thing. Um, again, same question. I suspect the answer is the same. I just I'm going to just put it out there. I'm going to just leave that right there. Um, it's worth considering. There are still plenty of questions to answer um, with respect to that. But that is your uh, your parting shot. Do with it what you will. Um, it's a good parting shot. Yeah, good. Yeah, that made Thank me you. think. Good. Well, uh, what I just did didn't make anyone think. They well, were like, no, but the, but you entertain them. You entertain them, and no one is no one is listening at this point. When, I mean, no one gets when, this. When Moynihan goes, comrade, you know. When <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's when I get pissed. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed this thoroughly. I hope you did. This is our twentieth episode. <laughs> um, as we promised in the beginning, we will continue forever. There will never be any week that's missed, and I, I don't know how we're going to sustain that. Uh, probably some advertising coming to you soon. Uh, Buy the things that we promote. Damn yeah. it. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was, uh, this was fun. This was good. I suspect we'll be back next week. We got to figure out the when and the where and the how, uh, but you guys got anything else before we go? Yeah. We, the fifth. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, the fifth.com go there, do things. Uh, we're at we, the fifth on Twitter. You got to like it. You got to like it on Facebook. Facebook. Dude, tell your friends. We don't promote it that much. Your mom should actually be listening. We don't, but you know what? It's still blowing up. We swear a little too Blowing up. It's doing well. No, your mom, your mom is a filthy whore. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note. He was looking at Boynihan. I was not. I wasn't. Holy. I'm talking to you. Oh, my God. Thanks for listening. Uh, we love and care about you. <laughs> no, and we don't. I, <laughs> I say these things about your mom. <laughs> don't. I'm Keep sorry. Keep digging. Goodbye. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The Fifth Column. That's okay. how you do it. That is exactly that's, how you do it. That's, that's how you do it. I mean, that is the most. Did you want to try pulling the outro? That was the most chaotic episode. But you know, but I have to say this that. that